0: And we're going to we're going to um, continue we've been working through the book of Acts or the beginning of Acts, which is the beginning of the early church, and really the point of what we've been after is to understand that the early church was just made out of people like you and us, you and me um, sometimes we get lost i think in 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 trying to separate and say, well, you know, the early church was different. They were different people. They didn't have the same kind of needs. They they were more spiritual than we are. um, And it was different. And then then it's not helped when the church for many, many years said, well, now St. John and St. Paul and St. Peter, and they put them in stained glass and they basically, the saints must have said, oh, for goodness sake, you want to know my backstory? You would smash those windows right now. And so we grew up with this kind of separation and God is is, is, is somehow different. I've heard many, many times, I'm, well, I'm not the religious kind. Everybody is religious. They worship something. You worship your motorbike, you're very spiritual. Everybody's religious. They live by faith. The atheist lives by faith. They believe nothing but themselves. That's a huge jump of faith. So it's just a question of what do you believe? And, uh, you know, when... when um, Ken read that word this morning from Acts and said, well, well, that's it. It was pretty much actually prophetic because I read it and said, well, that's it. Like, now what? Um, Jesus, when he came and began his ministry, said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. The kingdom of God is among you. And uh, he said, the kingdom of God is among you because he was... Uh, a citizen of the kingdom of God. He was the first person filled with God's spirit since Adam had walked in the Garden of Eden. And he was the one who, who basically had restored us back to a place of encounter with God. Now, every sentence I say when I say that, I could spend the week on. So, I, you know, it's, it's always difficult to, to carry on talking because there's so much I always like to explain back and again and again and again. But Jesus basically was the the human being that God designed. A human being is meant to be somebody who is filled with God's spirit, who walks this earth in huge acknowledgement to who God is and in relationship with God that is not a killjoyed God at all, but is the father-child relationship, not a father-childish relationship, just a father-child. I went up to Friendly Cove yesterday and I hear Fred talking to to Sean. Now, Sean is 40 years old and they have a father-child relationship. It's a friendship. That's what God calls us into. An assurance that when you get on the line and you speak to your dad, it's a comfort. Or there's advice or there's mentoring or there's friendship, whatever. That's how God has created us. What's the biggest problem in the world today? What is one of the, the deepest things in human beings? Is loneliness is a sense of abandonment and a sense of I'm the only one. All that isolation is, is endemic. So what we do, because if you don't believe there is a God who has any power, what are you left with? The pharmacist. If there, and, 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 and the church, and, and we are part of this, And the, you know, the beginning of re- recovering things we have lost is beginning to name them and claim them and name them and get hungry for them. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's just saying we're missing out and stuff. And then things get caricatured. So then if you start talking about a God who touches and heals and you hear people saying these, you know, when you come into church, um, you feel something or she wanted to cry. Many people have said that. That's the spirit of God. We think it's our emotions, but we're very, very ignorant of how God works. We're even ignorant of how we work. So we get it all muddled up. And so Jesus came into the world to reveal the love of God because God was not as he was being marketed as authoritarian, um, killjoy, visit him once a week or give him sacrifices, take your best animal and kill him and sacrifice him. He's just, he's this bloodthirsty guy in the sky. And he wants the best of what you've got because he's an egomaniac, you know. And he wants to be worshipped all day. I mean, how egotistical is that? You see, the trouble is he doesn't want to be worshipped all day. But he knows that if you catch a glimpse of him, you will worship him. So he knows by how you and I respond, whether we've seen him or not. I often tell, I have told the story of going to the Eiger in the Swiss Alps and nobody said, Go, Wow, look at the Eiger or the Grand Canyon. Wow, look at the Grand Canyon. It's amazing. That's worship. There's not a sign up there that says don't put your cigarettes out. It doesn't say worship the Grand Canyon. But everybody's taking pictures and going, wow, that's worship. It comes from within when you see. And when Jesus came to this world, he began to reveal and give people a little bit of a view of what God is really like. And they went, wow. So when he came up to them and he started to say, follow me, they said, there's nowhere else to go. We have never met anyone like this. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And the religious people said, well, if you've seen us, you've seen God and we're in control. And they got really, really ticked off with Jesus because they were revealing a legalistic father, but that gave them power. Jesus was releasing a loving father and he really didn't care about the power in the way the church did. The power he brought into the world was the power to overcome evil. And evil is experienced by us. Not You see, in the West, we are so arrogant, we don't think the devil exists, and we don't believe in evil. On the other hand, we go to fortune tellers, and tea leaves, and seances, and all that stuff. I would call it crap, but I'm not allowed to say that in this church. But That's pretty much the most flattering picture of it. So we're, there's a spiritual hunger everywhere. You know, horoscopes, of course, just hook you into self-fulfilling prophecy. I won't get into that one. But there's, there's, there's all this spiritual undertone because it it is real. Um, some people say, well, it can't be, and put their heads in the sand, which is as silly as saying gravity doesn't exist because I don't believe it. Or well, jump off a roof and, and test your relative truth. So the early church was beginning to reveal a presence of God on earth that was remarkable. They'd never seen anything like it. And these disciples who had been terrified when filled with God's Spirit were beginning to find within themselves a boldness and a confidence that they had never experienced before where they could go before the religious leaders and say, if you have to lock us up, lock us up, but we're bearing witness to a God who is alive and real. And Then they started praying for people and people got healed. And they said, that's just because God is coming to take back what has been stolen. The enemy comes to steal and destroy. God comes to set free the captives. That looks like something. And you say, well, I know lots of people they were prayed for and they didn't get better. Yep, but some did. And so we live in a gray zone. We're never going to have absolute freedom and absolute authority, but we're going to have more than we would have had without Jesus. We're having a taste of what is still to come. And so, I mean, how many of you come here and you don't really expect anything to happen? I'm not, this is, I'm talking, we're talking together now. I'm not talking at you. You don't really expect anything to happen. I might get a bit of strength to survive another week. But I don't really expect some healing to take place. I don't really expect much to change other than I get a better kind of Christian coping mechanism. And then I've got a community of people who can help me when I'm stuck and they can cry with me and we can go for coffee and we can, we can complain together, you know. Which is not actually true. What we're trying to say is together we can actually break through into a place of faith we couldn't get to on our own because our cumulative experience is of Religion. When in the early church, there's, I, I've skipped out because I didn't feel like speaking about Ananias and Sapphira. They were two guys who they were. Th- just before that last week we spoke about how the believers shared their possessions because I actually believe where God is most present is not in the songs you sing and is not in anything other than how we serve and how we are generous to one another. It's easy, you know, uh, I discipline myself, shut up John. Um, keep on track is what I'm trying to do to myself I'm recalibrating rebooting um, so we talked about this generosity of possessions and then these people who were on the fringes they might not have even been Christian where Ananias and Sapphira came and gave their stuff but they kept something back but they lied about it and they both fell dead that'd be scary and I don't feel like talking about that today because God isn't into scaring people and he's not doing it there but this the part that is compelling is how the early church really began to grow. This is what somebody said, The kingdom of God is the dynamic reign or rule of God. Jesus has absolute rule in heaven. On earth he actively and visibly exercises rule over his willing subjects and over the forces of evil. Jesus, is the reign of God, come to claim what was rightfully his. And so we are living in this in-between time. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Why was that? The one thing we don't read in these in these pages is the apostles talked, and talked, and talked. The apostles gave sermon after sermon after sermon. The apostles did an alpha course and uh, tried to work out how to win people to Jesus. What you actually see them doing is actually they were the bait. They used to be fishermen. They were bait themselves now, and the bait was their lives. The way they loved people, the way they walked and the way they talked, the way they actually engaged, the way they dealt with possessions, the way they revealed what the presence of God looks like in a human being who is imperfect, but nevertheless humble enough to say, I am imperfect, I need help, and God's Spirit lives in me, and I'm learning what that means. And what what that means is, that when God lives in me and His Spirit is at work in me, I start seeing you differently. Because before, I just get angry with you and we just fight and we have a power struggle or we make rules to keep each other at bay. But when God's Spirit lives in me, I start seeing beyond what I just see as behavior and I start going, who is this person? Because God's heart is about healing people and behavior is about how we cope with life. And often behavior masks what's going on or it often tells and broadcasts what's going on which is I'm a broken person I'm a hurting person I'm an insecure person I'm all kinds of things and when Jesus was walking on the earth he just called people out now if you're like me if Jesus was here now and he called me out what would you think he would do? I would think he's going to expose every dark sin I've ever committed he's going to embarrass me in front of you I used to think that for years And I've learned he doesn't do that. He never does that. So if he called you up here right now, he would uh, put his arm around you and say, this is my son. Now, you might not even believe in him. You might say, I don't even believe in Jesus. Jesus would say, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because I believe in you. So come up here anyway. And whether you believe in him or not, he would just say, this is my son. He doesn't know it yet. He thinks it's all about this or that or the other thing or she thinks it's all about that's okay and he would just start saying this is who he is this is who I created and by the time he had ended walking up and down with his arm around you describing who he created you to be you would believe in him he would call to the deepest part of your spirit fulfillment of everything you were created to be and you would go how did he know and you say well I am God I know you I know what's in you And I've come into this world that the stuff that has been destroyed because of your survival in this broken world, I've come to bring freedom to that. And the way I bring freedom is often through healing. And so I want a people who are naturally supernatural. I want a people who have learned to see with my eyes and I need your hands and your heart to reach out to people who still don't know me. I hate religion as much as you do. I am bored with ritual I'm speaking like God now. I'm bored with ritual. I want life to flow where my name is called. There's a battle between good and evil. We don't experience evil as here comes the devil. You experience evil as fear, as indifference, as numbness, as boredom, as disillusionment. All of those things are empowered by an evil. I had a picture of evil, I I think God gave it to me this morning. It was funny, but, you know, I'm sorry I've got to talk about chihuahuas again. He said, you know, evil... (laughs) Let's take another dog. What's another little dog? That sounds rude. A Shih Tzu. Appeals to me. Um, (laughs) Anyway, if you have one of these dogs, chill out. But it's just a metaphor. But it's like... A I suppose, (laughs) a mixture. It's a little dog with no teeth standing in the light of Jesus and there's a big shadow on the wall and we get distracted like Peter with the waves and we look at this big shadow and say, oh my word, you're big. And Jesus says, it's just a shadow. Look at him. He's a little shih tzu. That's what evil is. But for many of us, we have been actually overtaken by Fear. And it looks like that. Nothing will get, ever get me free of that depression. Nothing will ever get me free of that. And we are totally imprisoned by something that if you look at the source, is actually tiny, but it feels big. And so Jesus came as light to say, I'm just going to take that little shih tzu and wring its neck, which he did on the cross. And he says, you can be free. And he comes out in front of it and that shadow has gone. And part of healing is about God reestablishing in us things that were stolen or lost. And one of the ways evil also works is to say that's all rubbish. And so we never enter into the inheritance that is ours. And so these disciples, let's just read this thing. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. That's very common. Where God is at work, often people are are frightened for the reasons I've already said. They're frightened of what might happen. Whereas God is actually inviting them into coming home, coming to find life, coming to find everything they've cried out for. They've been damaged because we're all damaged goods by being hurt or manipulated or whatever and so we stay away. That's why... People have to go out one by one and be friends to people and say, it's not like that. But I can't give away anything that I don't have. So I have to go through that uncomfort and fear barrier because you can tell when people know Jesus. You can tell when he's alive in them. It's not about being perfect. You just can tell because they can tell you a little bit about him. This is what it was and this is how I'm getting to know him. That's all one is talking about, being authentic told you before when I was rebelling against God I sat in the pub in uh, in, in Parksville at the squash club and I said I'm not talking to Jesus but I could tell you about him I'm ticked off with him I'm not boasting about that I'm only just saying God can handle authenticity and so these disciples they performed signs and wonders and why were they doing that because that's how God works he wants us to know his love and his presence and his power And he wants us to scratch our head and go, how did that happen? It's God. I mean, how many of us have shrunk, wrapped God down? When was the last time you were surprised by something God did? When was the last time that you took a risk because it it was a risk of faith? Like, I'm not sure how this is going to work, but I'm trusting in God. I'm not talking, you know, some of us, we have about three testimonies and that's it. And we live off those for the rest of our lives. There's an element of it's meant to be all the time. Not because I'm I'm compelled to because I'm going to feel guilty. It's just because God is an adventurous spirit. And God loves people. And He places you in positions. He said, All those people that you know who don't know me, you are there because I love them like they're your children. And I'm counting on you to manifest my love to them in a way that causes them to get hungry and go... What is it about you? What is it about you? Salty Christians make other people thirsty. I love that. Salty people make other people thirsty. We're way too religious. How do you love? How do you serve? How are you a friend? If Jesus is a friend for you, how does that happen? But you see, that's also really safe. Because this passage isn't about just being friendship. This passage is about the power of God. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They were intrigued. And so they probably stopped him. What, what is this about? I bet you there were lots of conversations on the fringes of the temple where they met. What is this about? And they, they lived in villages. They knew each other. What is this about? I, look, at, look at James. Apparently James wasn't James. You know that? There wasn't a disciple named James. I think he was Jacob. But when King James wanted the Bible written in the King James Version, he wanted his name in. So they put James in. Seriously, that's just free. A little bit of extra. Yeah, English get in everywhere. Anyway, God is Lord of all things, even that. So, as a result, people brought... So more and more men and women came because they were intrigued. They heard stories. When God is present, stories happen. You don't go... To, Do you hear what happened in the cemetery last week? It's dead. Nothing. And that's many, often the experience of church. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. It's exactly the same as followed Jesus. All of them were healed. Imagine you walk out here, we walked out here, and there's knocking at the door, and we see people lining up on the lawn out there waiting to be healed. What would that be like? Well, if we want to see that, we have to learn how to do it. How many of you would like to see that? Seriously, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just Some of you wouldn't. You'd just like everybody to die in this stuff. You're miserable. <laughs> how many of you don't believe it happens today? How many of you have questions about healing? Put your hand up high. Look around. There's nothing wrong with this. I, I, I respect this. I'm not trying to trick you into anything for once. What kind of, he, what kind of questions do you have about healing? Somebody. I, I wanted some of this to be interactive. Cause I, it's, you see, the way you deal with stuff is to bring out the, the doubts. It's to bring out the questions. Yeah? Why do you have to ask God to heal? Why doesn't he just do it? Because we are very broken and the people who came to Jesus were the ones who got healed. Um, If God just healed all sickness, what do you think would happen without you asking? What do you think would happen? I mean, there wouldn't be any sickness, but there wouldn't what? Jesus said that the way of the kingdom is to ask, seek and knock. He's called us into relationship. And so one of the things he's also bringing us into is self-awareness. And another thing he's bringing us into is that very often the thing that we're asking him to heal has a root that's got nothing to do with what we're asking. And so he's actually more interested in healing the whole person. I come and say, I want my finger healed. And he says, you've got an infection. It goes deeper than your finger. I'll heal, heal your finger, but I'm going to heal something else. Very often, for instance, we have a healing, uh, we have sickness and we have aches and pains, and this is not always the case, but it is par- it, partially where there's an attitude in us that's actually causing that thing to stay because there's a spiritual battle going on. Now, that could be unforgiveness. I mean, if you want to get healed and you're still angry with your brother or your sister, you better deal with the, un- the forgiveness of that before you, you won't get healed. You might but you might not and if you do get healed it might come back again because God is interested in the whole of who we are not just the part we present. The part we present He cares about but at the end of the day He wants the whole of us to know His fullness. There's mystery in this so I'm no way going to answer a question fully but I think it's really, really helpful to ask the questions. Somebody else had something over here. I'm not sitting here as expert. Okay, well then that's that's the mystery we've just gone through that you know in our journey with Glenda and and we would say you know the way Glenda entered into her death was a healing in the testimony of how she did we absolutely know that we don't have the absolute answer and so I know you're in a, in a, in a you know, it seems absolutely cruel. Why, why does somebody suffer from Alzheimer's or why does somebody so young get into all kinds of things? I, w- I happened to come on the TV the other day, a, guy, a boy, they were talking about wish fulfillments and he came went to Australia and he had some disorder and he died very, very young. And that's happening all over the place. There's probably many, many stories here. And one of the things that we have to come to terms with is God is good um, and he doesn't give anybody sickness and we live in a very, very vicious battle. I, don't th- I think we take spiritual warfare very, very lightly in the sense of we don't think it has any power. It has absolutely annihilated the Western world. The problem is God wants us to be like this. I carry in me an extraordinary power and presence because Jesus is in me. So nothing that darkness, darkness really is a strangled Shih Tzu but if you don't know that, you're going to be afraid of it. If you do know that, then every time it, it shows up, you just say, you're dead. The blood of Jesus dealt with you. Go to hell. God wants an extraordinary confident, not brash, not arrogant, not pompous, just confident people coming to take and set captives free. And you might be set free by having boldness to die well. You might be set free by being healed, but you're still going to die sometime. And that's the mystery. We're never going to know why. I have long ago had to settle that. Life is not fair. Good people die. Bad people die. you know, It's just God is good and will be present for every single person, but not every single person will be healed. But I also believe, and and I wrestled with this very early on in ministry with a young girl who was dying of leukemia. And I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And at the end of the day, God just said, John, you're looking at it from your one perspective. You're one-dimensional. She was 23 years old. Her father was a professor. He was furious and angry and hurt. And her mother was a Christian, and we wrestled with this. And then she died, and I took her funeral. And he said, you're looking at it in one dimension. He said, if you could see it from my dimension... The freedom she has, she's going to get healed through death. But the freedom she has, you wouldn't take it away from her. You just don't understand. And so there's an element of when John the Baptist was killed, Jesus went to the hills for really an hour or two and then people plagued him to come back and he carried on healing. He didn't go, God, you, you, and look what you did to John. He's probably my best friend. What did you do to Joseph, my father? He probably died before he should have. What did you do to the mothers who knew my mother when I was born and they walking around saying, Mary, I'm glad you've got a child, but mine was killed because he was born. What are you going to do with that? And God, how are you going to answer that? Because that's the real world. How come he got healed? And I hate these testimonies. These testimonies, somebody stands up and says, oh, this was great, but my life was awful. We have to deal with it. And the way we deal with it is it's a mystery. And that's not copping out. It's about saying God is good. God is powerful. And we either live in misery and defeat or we celebrate some victories. And on the basis of those victories, we also learn how to face death with joy and with depth, which is how the early church actually grew. You were a godparent because your your parents might die. You had godparents because if you were believers, you might die before your children were grown up. That was the history of the early church, the violence of the Romans, the violence of the early church, the early religious community. It was all violent. But there is something very powerful about a people who know the goodness of God, who are willing to say, nevertheless, God. Does that make sense to you? Do you think I'm just trying to push this away somewhere? Because it's it's confusing. But you know, what about doctors? They don't have a 100% track record of healing. So that doctor didn't, you know, somebody died under their care, so you're not going to go to him? There's a humility required of us that just goes, the revelation I have of God is such that I trust him. And the things I don't understand, which I assume is going to be many, I'm going to one day understand but I'd rather contend and so these early disciples they walk through these crowds and they manifest the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and there's nothing that they have they had that we don't have now what would cause you to believe if you saw somebody healed would you believe more I mean I would it's not bad I wish we had time to go through all the questions I encourage you to ask questions. I encourage you to ask questions to look for answers, not just to be smart and, and play safe because it's easy actually to be cynical. And many, many of us have questions coming out of distorted pictures anyway. And that's not wrong, it's just they are distorted. How many of you have got physical pain here this morning? Okay, who wants to come up? I'm pushing the envelope this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to ask God for healing. I was really asking for one person. No, you really. Come on, come on, come on. All of you, come up. All of you, come up. What are the others of you? Let let, Let's make this into like a workshop for. We won't go on for long. Thanks, Lord. Spread out over here. I genuinely was really asking for one person. (laughs) Now I'm hooped but I'm not you see 20 years ago I'd be terrified I'd feel very insecure and I'd go Lord what do I do now I know there's nothing in me there is absolutely nothing in me that can heal anybody but I do believe I mean some of you have been coming up here how many times so what do we do now how many of you have ever prayed for somebody to be healed if you have come up and lay hands on somebody here just stand lay hands don't do anything Just come and lay hands on them. I need some help, that's why. And I also, there is absolutely, you're not allowed to, excuse me, those who are coming up to be healed are not allowed to pray for somebody else because that's half the problem. (laughs) Come right up, come closer. Come closer because there's... All right? Don't talk to each other. I just want you to, just, because I want to, sometimes what happens is we get all Um, You know, we think anointed means I have to make a noise, I have to shout at you, I have to show you how spiritual I am. Never ever trust anybody who's too full of themselves when it comes to ministry. It's just dangerous. All God needs is hands, and all He needs is faith. And He doesn't need a lot of faith, because even coming up here now, it's already a mustard seed of faith. Now what happens in the rest of the building right now? What happens in the atmosphere? Do you notice something? Something changes, doesn't it? Because what happens if, when you kind of put it on the line, it changes. So if we were in these, this early church and they were writing about us, everybody here would be healed, We apparently. So let's ask Jesus. Just ask you, Holy Spirit, I want you to experience that God can use you